But before I really get into the morning message, I want to take a second and mention, if you are a new Christian, if you're like just getting started out in the faith and you're like, man, I'm so new, uh, you know, I want to learn about God, I want to learn how to get started in my newfound faith, then I encourage you to come out to the North Campus on Wednesday nights. We do a special class just for new Christians, and it's called Starting Point, and there's information in the bulletin uh, concerning that, and if you have more questions, obviously, you can call the church office in that regard. Well, this has been a big week for our family. I won't bore you with all the details, but to say that uh, our little girl got married that would be about eight days ago, not yesterday, but Saturday uh, week. It feels so unique trying to get adjusted. Everybody was together because Brent and Nicole's still in town. Drew and Tabitha was at the house. Uh, Zeb and Audrey were there. And then and then they everybody got ready to leave, except Brent and Nicole, obviously, who's staying with us. And Drew and Tabitha's like, all right, we're going home now. And then when Drew and Audrey said, all right, we're going home now, I'm like, what? I mean, Audrey, this is your home. This is your room right back here. It's been your room since you were three years old. But uh, they've got married. And right over here to my right is Audrey and Zeb Sellers. All right, Stanley. Uh, I know it's got to work that way. All right, so... Zeb and Audrey Stanley. That's what it is. But we had a great, great time. Thank you for praying. It was a long day. It was a busy day. And then we were able to get away for a few days as we do each summer and, and go to our, our annual beach trip. So we're just coming back from that, all rested up, all fired up, all challenged about the remainder of the summer with you and all that God is going to do. And so I want to talk to you for just a little while this morning and uh, about a great leader in the Bible. In fact, when I start giving you some of his background, uh, right away, you're going to know who I'm talking about even before I mention his name. But I'll give you a little background, a couple little nuances leading up. But uh, again, a lot of you that have studied the Bible for quite some time, you're going to know right away who I'm going to talk about. And, and I want us to look at his life he, he was not a perfect guy by any means, but he lived a life of legacy. He was a tremendous leader. He was powerfully used by God. And there's, uh, there's things from his life that you and I can learn in and grow in and make applicable to our life. So I know that every one of the segments that I'm going to mention about his life is not going to fit you personally, but I can assure you that if you're dialed in, and uh, you know, I hope you're going to be completely dialed in, there's going to be something that you're going to hear in the course of the next few moments that we have together, and you're going to say, wow, that's an area that I need to be looking at. That's an area that I need to get better at. That's an uh, area of my life that I need to be growing in. There's some steps that I need to take in my faith, in my life, in my courage, in my leadership. And so we're going to look at his life for just a little while today. He was actually born, this guy that I'm about to talk to you about was actually born in Egyptian uh, captivity. He was named, when his parents uh, named him, he was named Hoshea. Now, his name would later change. It's sort of like my name. Uh, I was born, most of you know, not Jeffrey, but my mother named me because she was still under the effects of anesthesia. Uh, I'm Jeffrey, not R-E-Y-E-R-Y. Everybody else I know is Jeffrey, but I'm Jeffrey. And so, uh, you know, we stuck that name on Brent as well. Brent, I figured if I've had to live with it my whole life, so will he. So he is Jeffrey Brent. Why would we name him Jeffrey Brent? When he could just share the, 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 but you know, so that's what I was named. But on my college basketball team, because of my height, I was known as Stretch. 
Not really. That's, I just made that up. That is totally not true. I never played uh, basketball. Uh, they just wouldn't let me. And uh, I just couldn't see, you know, over the rest of the players. But uh, so he was named, this guy was named Hoshea. And his name actually meant, the, the meaning for that name actually means this. Hoshea uh, means salvation. Now, Moses would later change this guy's name. And that's already a giveaway right there. Moses would later change his name uh, to uh, Jehoshua. Jehoshua, and that tells you right away who it is. And uh, it further built upon his name. Now his name, Hoshea, meant salvation. Now when Moses sort of renames him, he keeps a portion, the derivative of his name, sort of the hash, and Jehoshua, now his name carries the meaning Jehovah is salvation. Not just salvation, but Jehovah is salvation. Two months after Israel made their departure uh, out of Egypt because they'd been in captivity for hundreds of years. And this, when they made their departure, it was right around uh, 1446 BC. And just two months prior to that, he was actually appointed to be Moses's commander. Now, you know, if again, if you've been a Christian for some time and you've studied the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you already know by now that I'm talking about Joshua. And uh, I want us to read a verse together just to get his role in there. There's going to be several verses in the next 30 minutes that we're going to have together. But I want you to read this first verse with me. Everybody, help me out. So Joshua carried out what the Lord had commanded his servant Moses and what Moses had commanded him. Look at these next words. Let's read them together, these highlighted words. He did not leave out anything the Lord had commanded Moses. Look at those words again. He did not leave out anything. It's like complete. And again, I'm not saying that Joshua uh, was a perfect guy. Moses was not a perfect guy. We know that uh, less perfect even than Joshua, you know, what, for the most part. And, but as it came to his life and his walk with God, he didn't leave out anything that Moses, who at that particular time was sort of God's spokesman into his life, that he had been commanded to do. Now, when you see that verse on the screen, as you did just moments ago, you're thinking, uh, you know, I hope you're thinking, wow, wouldn't that be wonderful? Had, had that been, been said about me or, or could that be said of me? Or maybe by the time I get to the end of my life that that could be said of me that I did not leave out anything that God wanted me to do. So I want to give you a little bit of a leader's profile because if you're saying, hey, I want to grow in my leadership, I, I want to be a better leader, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family, whether it's in home, uh, whatever you're doing, the influence that you have maybe with some, some people that you're mentoring, uh, how do you grow as a leader? What sort of a leader's profile? And I'm going to give you sort of a thumbnail sketch of this in regards to the life of Joshua. Now, one of the first things you've got to know about Joshua's life, when he first seems to come on the scene is when he is sent as one of 12 spies into the land of promise. Now, God had promised his people that I've got a land for you, a land of promise, and I want you to go into this land and I want you to take occupation of the land. So Moses at this point, again, they're just coming out of Egyptian cat captivity, about 1446 BC, as I mentioned to you a moment ago. And so now they have the land of promise that is ahead of them. And I'll come back to that in a moment, but this land of promise. So Moses, who's in charge under God, uh, Moses says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a person out of every tribe. How many tribes were there in the tribe of Israel? Talk to me. 
there were 12. There were 12 tribes. So Moses said, I want you to give me one person out of every tribe. And so Joshua actually represented the tribe of Ephraim. And so he was one of 12. And so Moses said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to spy out the land. And so it was Joshua, another guy. We remember these two primarily, uh, Caleb. And then there were 10 others, again, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is what we know about Joshua right out of the gate is that he is one of only two that came back with a good report. Actually, the report that God wanted to be brought back to his people. Now, there were, uh, there were 12 spies, uh, again, two of them, Joshua being one and Caleb being the other, who came back with the good report, which as it turns out, actually becomes the minority report. And they said, by all means, this is a good land. This is the land that God has promised to us. Yeah, there are some occupants there and there are some obstacles that's going to have to be dealt with. But if God is sort of sad, that idea of God is for us, then who can be, be against us? Let's go up and let's take occupation of this land that God has promised to us. And so that's what they're saying. If we are faithful to God, here's what God's going to do. God's going to lead us into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And with God's help and with God's might, we're going to be able to conquer the land. And what is the response of the rest of the Israelites? Because uh, Joshua and Caleb are just two of the, the group. There's 10 others that they just come back with, no, we can't do it. The people there, it's well-fortified city. There's no way we're going to be killed. And they, they come back and they spread this horrible, horrible news. And now Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 don't listen to these 10. I'm telling you, it's a good land. It's land that God has promised. And what is the response of the Israelites? They're on the verge of stoning, of killing, of murdering Joshua and Caleb. Now, listen to the words of uh, Numbers 26, 65. It's not on the screen, but this is what the response to that is. The Lord had told the Israelites they would all die in the desert, and the only two left were Caleb and Joshua, because God is saying, I've just laid, I've led you out of captivity. And, and again, I don't want to get bogged down here because we're looking at a leader's profile of Joshua's life, but can you imagine what God must have found? when he had miraculously led his people out of Egyptian captivity, out of bondage, out of slavery that they have been in for year after year after year, for hundreds of years, generations have been uh, under the oppression of the Egyptians. And now God does all these supernatural things uh, and parting the sea so they can walk through. God's done all of these things. And now you've got 10 of them trembling and saying, hey, we can't go in. There's no way. We'll never make it. We'll never be able to conquer the land. Can you imagine what God must have felt about that when he had already miraculously provided for them? This was not going to be a big deal for God. Them on their own, yeah, it would have been an impossible feat, but not with God. And God says, all right, you're going to rebel against me. And uh, they had lived pretty rebelliously prior to this time, but you're going to rebel against me. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to die in the wilderness. You're never uh, you're never going to go into the promised land. Now, your kids will, your grandkids will, but you're not going into the land of promise. Now, here is something else. Again, I'm just giving you an overview of his life. Uh, here's something else that we learn about Joshua, and that is that Joshua encounters this, has this powerful encounter with God. And I'm going to come back to, and I, I say God, but I'm going to say the Lord and you'll see why in just a moment. But I want you to look at this on the screen, this powerful encounter he has. 
Uh, Joshua was near Jericho. We'll talk about Jericho in just a few moments. When he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand, Joshua went to him and asked, are you a friend or an enemy? The man answered, I am neither. Now, how many of you know that's, that's not what you're looking for? Just please tell me what are, I'm neither. I have come Look at this now. I have come as the commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed face down on the ground and asked, does my master, that's key, have a command for me, his servant? The commander of the Lord's army answered, take off your sandals because, read this highlighted phrase with me, everybody, read it with me, because the place where you're standing is holy. The place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua did. Now, guys, keep that on the screen for just a moment. Because scholars have debated, could this have potentially been a theophany? And some of you are saying, oh, 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 oh. I know I haven't had all my coffee yet, but what did you just say? Uh, what did you just say? A theophany. A theophany, and I'm not, uh, again, I'm not going to try to get too theological here, but a theophany in the Old Testament was generally, uh, not always, but a theophany is basically representative of a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. Now, Jesus, just to back up and clarify, are, are you with me? I've got to be sure you're awake if I'm going to explain this to you. Wave at me if you're awake, if you're dialed in. So a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. Now, did Jesus just start his existence in Bethlehem when he was born as a baby? Obviously not. Just as God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus existed before time. Before time could ever be calculated, before the earth was ever created, before Adam and Eve was ever created, God has no beginning. And again, I don't want to get too theological and not be able to unpack it fully, but God has never had a beginning and God is never going to have an end. And Jesus didn't just show up in Bethlehem. Jesus was actually present. The Holy Spirit was actually present way back in Genesis when the earth is created. And yet Jesus has not made his physical appearance. There's not been his birth yet. And so from time to time, there would be these theophanies or these pre-incarnate, these pre-birth manifestations of Jesus. And there's been some debate. And quite possibly, this is one one of those times when a pre-incarnate, a Jesus yet to be born, physically speaking, it shows up because, you know, a lot of times an angel will come and somebody will try to bow down. You, you track this in the Bible. An angel will make an appearance. And how many of you know that would be pretty mind-blowing in and of itself? But when somebody would try to bow down before an angel or would try to worship an angel, that angel would always be like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't, only worship God. In this case, the commander of the Lord's army answered, take off your sandals because the place where you are standing. And if you look ahead, uh, Joshua already by this time has fallen face down on the ground and the commander of the Lord's army, possibly uh, uh, pre-incarnate Jesus says, hey, just know this, take off your shoes, the place, and has this powerful, powerful encounter with God. Now, I've got a question I want to ask you based on that. When is the last time, and you and I are probably not going to have that same kind of, hey, you know, take off, you know, and here's why, because we couldn't handle it. We would have a heart attack and die right on the spot. So God is doing us a favor. How many of you know that? You, you may say, man, I would love for that to happen to me. No, you wouldn't because you wouldn't live past it. You'd just die right on the spot. You'd have a heart attack and you wouldn't have another breath in your body. Oh, that'd be wonderful. I don't, I don't think, I don't want that to happen to me. I really don't. I think it would so shock me that I'd just fall over dead right there. So God's doing us a favor. 
But I am asking you, in the way that God is revealing himself to people today, when's the last time that you've had a powerful encounter with God? And I'm talking about out of the norm. I know that we experience the presence of God. And again, I don't want to chase this theologically, but a word, it's not found in the Bible, but there's a word for God always being present with us. A God is omnipresent. It means God is everywhere present. God is with us when we're at church, when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're at home. Uh, God is with us no matter where, when we're in the car. Sometimes God wants to get out of the car because God sees the way you drive and God's like, hey, I'm, I'm even in trouble with this one, you know? And so, but God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about the times when you and I are having our devotional life, and I hope you have one of those. You and I, when we take times of solitude, when we're connecting with God in worship, when we're connecting with our friends in our small group, I'm not even talking about that. Those are wonderful experiences that we have with God, our times together in church, when we worship together, when there's a message, when there's a talk from the Bible. Those are all important times. But when outside of the realm of what is normal to you, have you had a powerful encounter with God? Has that happened to you lately? That has moved you to the point where maybe you've humbled yourself? Maybe you've dropped to your knees. Maybe you've just repented. Maybe you've just made a decision. Hey, I'm finally going to step out with the faith and the courage that God has given to me. When you've made a decision that you're going to change, when you've cried, when you've wept, when's the last time that you've had a powerful, not the same kind of encounter that Joshua had with the commander of the Lord's army, but when's the last time you've just had an extraordinary, out of the realm of that which is routine, encounter with God? that just left you saying, wow, God is so personal and God is so powerful in my life. Well, Joshua had a powerful encounter with God. We know that, but I need to keep moving. What else do we know about Joshua? We know this, and we looked at it earlier. He becomes the successor of Moses, and he would actually be the one, and I'll come to this in a moment, he would actually be the one that would lead Israel into its occupation of Canaan, the land of promise. Now, Deuteronomy 3.28, this is not on the screen, but it says this. And God is speaking to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to do this. Commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across. He will lead them across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. And we'll come back to that because uh, Moses is only going to be able to see it and not to occupy it. Now, take a look at this next verse on the screen. This is Deuteronomy. This is not in the book of Joshua, but this is Deuteronomy, but it ties in. Then Moses called for Joshua, and he's going to do exactly what God has told him to do. And he said to him in the presence of all of Israel, all the people have come together, it's sort of a public declaration, and he says, be, what's the word here? Be strong and be what? Be courageous. You will go with these people. Joshua, I'm not going to be able to go with these people. How many of you know, by the way, that uh, Moses had an attitude problem? Do you know this? It was his attitude that would keep him out of the land of promise. I don't have time to get into that, but you can check that out, out on your own. You will go with these people into the land that the Lord will give them as he swore to their ancestors. I want you to be strong and courageous. Why? Because you're going to help the people. You're going to have the, all, all great. Listen, here's part of a leader's profile. All great people want to help those who they are leading. All great leaders want to help those who they're leading. You know, how many people 
I've heard this said, this is so true. Some of you, you've never heard this said, but I've heard it said many times. How do you evaluate the greatness of the leader? Is it the number of people that are serving them? No, that's not it. It's the number of people that they're serving. It's the number of people that they're impacting. They're they're influencing their life. And so Moses is saying, here's what I'm going to do. Joshua, I'm going to lay my hands on you, and I'm going to publicly commission you as a leader because there's coming a time when I'm going to make my exit, and you're going to take over this response responsibility. And God wants me to pray for you that you would be very strong and that you would be exceedingly courageous because God is going to lead you to help the people. This is a leader's profile. Who are you helping in your life? Well, I'm just waiting for people to come and serve me. I just want people to serve me. I just want people to take care of me. I just want people. No, that is not, that is not the approach of authentic leaders. That, that, that's ego, that's being egocentric. It's not, it's not the same. It's like, who, who can I help? Who can I lead? How, who, how can I help other people grow? I've been thinking a lot, and, and this is sort of a personal side note, so I won't uh, stay here too long, but I've been thinking, you know, as I've become older, as I've been a pastor now for a long time, when I was first starting out in ministry, I was just trying to collect as many mentors as I possibly could, and I still have great mentors in my life today. But here recently, you know, like Jack having his birthday uh, today, but recently when I had my 33rd birthday, I was thinking, uh, well, it's, it's, it's beyond that. And I started thinking, God, you know, who are, some, who are some young men and women that are where I was, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, who are getting their start in ministry, who are cutting their teeth in ministry? God, would you help me? And this is a prayer I've just started praying recently, so I hasn't even had a time, a chance yet to germinate and grow and mature yet. But I've been saying, God, who can, who can you just show me that they're getting, that I can save them some heartache, some headaches, that I can just help them, you know, that I can help them to learn and to grow and maybe be a mentor to some people as just as you bless my life with mentors? Who can I help? Who are some young men? You know, I couldn't help a lot of people, a lot of young up-and-comers in uh, areas that maybe uh, you work in and you serve in, your profession is. But, you know, these young men and women that are stepping into ministry, God, and, and that's what I've been praying, just started praying it in the last few months. God, show me some people that I can invest in. Show me some people that I can pour into, that I can help them as they get ready to step into the same places that I stepped in you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago. God, show me those kind of people. And so that's what Moses is saying. Hey, I'm going to place my hands on you because that's what God wants me to do. And I'm going to pray that God's going to make you strong and courageous because great leaders want to help people. Now, again, this may not sound like a major deal to you, but this has been years in the making. Israel had blatantly disobeyed God 40 years earlier and would not be permitted into this land. If I had more time, and I don't, I only have like 12 minutes left, but if I had more time, I would, I would point out to you that time, you can go back and read it, when Moses, God was speaking to him and saying, hey, I want you to speak to the rock, rock and, you know, water come out, but he's so mad, he's so fed up, and we get it. You, you read about Moses and trying to lead these rebels out of Egypt, and, and I love it. Uh, there's times in the Bible, check this out, when it's like Moses is saying about the Israelites because they're just steeped in rebellion and they're stiff-necked and they're just out of control, and there are times in the Scripture when, uh, when Moses is saying, Lord, your people, and there's times when the Lord is saying to Moses, 
they're your people. It's like Moses and the Lord are having an argument over. No, they're not my people. They're your people. And the Lord is saying, no, they're not mine. They're yours. And, and so Moses is saying, you know, God is just tough leading the people. And he just has an outburst of an attitude. And God says, all right, you know what, Moses, you're going to be able to see the land, but you're not going to be able to go in and occupy the land. So he'd be able to see the land of promise. Now, Joshua, by the time we get to this point, and again, we're jumping ahead for time's sake. Joshua is about 70 years of age, and he is leading a new generation. He is pouring into, he's investing, he's leading a new generation. He has proven to this point to be a capable leader of Israel's army in the battle of Amalek, but now his greatest challenge is awaiting them. The first challenge would be one of the greatest challenge. It would be the well-fortified city of Jericho. Earlier, Joshua had been, and I take you back, all right? Joshua had been one of how many spies that had been sent into the land of promise, just to see if you were listening, one of? One from each tribe of Israel. Now, uh, Jericho appears to be as fortified and, and as occupied as the land of promise that Canaan had been. And so Jericho, uh, you know, it's, it's this prominent land, again, a well-fortified city, and so, good thing that God has sent Moses to pray that he'd be strong and courageous because this is going to be a challenge. And so, he is going to do what Moses did earlier with him. He's going to send some spies into Jericho to see what Jericho is like. Now, I love this. I love this. Guess how many spies that Joshua sends into Jericho? How, how many spies does he send? Anybody remember? He sends two. It's like, I don't want to hear all the negative junk. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even going to listen to the 10 that come back and clamor and complain that, you know, they're too big, too strong. We're never going to be able. So he sends, it's like, hey, I remember the time when, you know, a sort of our minority report, it's just Caleb. Hey, I just need some positive, optimistic people to go and give us a true uh, valuation of the land. Now, Joshua is doing this. And now there's Jericho. The report comes back and Joshua is going to lead the people. Uh, Joshua sits to this, not on the screen. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with his king and his fighting men. And so Joshua saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. And God gave him, gave him this strange plan. I want you to march around the city one time every day for six days, just march. And then on the seventh and final day, I want you to march multiple times around the city. In fact, look at this next verse that's on the screen. All right, look at this verse. This is a great verse. The seventh time around, remember, one time around the city of Jericho, they'd just march around the city. One time every day for six days, but on the seventh day, seven times. The seventh time around when the priests were about to sound the trumpets, Joshua ordered the people to shout, and he said, the Lord has given you the city. Again, part of a leader's profile, he's stepping out and he's saying, you know what, I can stand back and I can cower. I can just, you know, just come up with all the objections. You know, I made my list of all the positives, all the negatives. And, you know, I just don't know that I want to subject the people to this. No, he, he believes, he trusts that God has given him the city and he boldly announces it to the people. So what do we know? Again, I must hurry. But what do we know about Joshua to this point? We know that he was an obedient leader. Can I ask you a question? Can you follow instructions? Can you follow instructions given to you? Do you always have to be the person giving the instructions? Can you ever, can you ever submit to somebody higher than you, somebody that's on the leadership chain that is up higher than you, that you can willingly submit to the instructions of other people? Uh, Joshua certainly learned the value of that. 
If you ever get to a point, if I ever get to a point that we can't listen to other people, man, we have set ourselves up for a huge, huge mistake. He was an obedient leader. He was an optimistic leader. We know that all the way back. Hey, if you're, if you're chronically a negative person, can I just give you some encouragement here? God is able to change that, but you've got to be willing to change. If you're always like negative, 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 complaining, complaining, never see anything positive, never seen any, anything good, just negative. And, and again, reality is a good gut check. But if I'm not talking about a reality check. I'm just talking about chronic negativism. And if you're like always negative, 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 complaining, we can't do it, we'll never do it, then you know what? You're going to forfeit your leadership opportunities. And so uh, Joshua was powerfully used of God for a multitude of reasons, but he was optimistic. We know most importantly, he was deeply devoted to God. He was a capable leader and he was a courageous leader. And that's how God is going to use him because of people. They're like, I don't know if we should do this or not. And I heard way back then and what happened afterwards. I, I like this statement. This Dan Reland, he made this statement years ago and I brought it with me. He, he, he writes this, courage is not a commonly possessed trait. It's not. Courage is not a commonly possessed trait, but everyone migrates toward a courageous leader. And that's true. And maybe that's an area that God is speaking to you about. Maybe some of the other things I've talked about at this point is like, no, nope, not me, not me, not me. But this is where you're at, where you need to pray and ask God to help you to become a more courageous person. What is it that has you, what is it that has you saddled down with fear? What is it that you're looking at these days that you're just like, just trembling, like on the inside of you? It's almost like an internal paralysis because you just, you're just shutting down because something has caused you such anxiety, so, so much worry, so much fear, so much frustration that you're just sort of internally shutting down and just not proceeding forward. Ask God to help you with that. It may not be negativism where you need help with. It may be that you just need to move beyond your fear and your worries and your doubts and start trusting God more. And say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to live my life any longer this way. I'm going to trust. I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe that God is going to cause me to be a more courageous person, not a more cowardly person. Well, so far we've seen many good qualities in the life of Joshua. But before we finish, I really want you to grasp uh, one more thing. And it's why I believe he became such a great leader. And it was because... He had this God-given wisdom in the activity of the Spirit of God at work in his life. It's a very important verse, and I want us to read this, this whole verse together. So help me out. We're about done here, but I want you to read this verse with me, everybody, from beginning to end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the Spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. The Israelites obeyed him and did what the Lord had commanded through Moses. I personally believe that the highest attribute of Joshua's life was that he sincerely desired to be in tune with God. Can I ask you, as a person that is leading something, because all of you are probably leading something, some of you may be leading a major business, some of you may be leading a group of employees, some of you may have be leading a department, some of you may be leading your family, some of you may be leading kids, some of you, and whatever responsibility that you have, you know, how do you become better at what God has entrusted, the responsibility that God has entrusted to you? How do you become better at it? It always falls back to this, are we in tune with God? Are we in tune with God? 
Uh, Joshua longed to do God's will in his life. He longed to lead his people in complete faithfulness to God. These verses that I'm about to read are not on the screen, but I want you to listen to them carefully. This is out of Joshua chapter 3. You can read it later, verses 5 through 7. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And maybe that's a word for somebody here that God is saying, spiritually speaking, get your house in order. Get your house in order. Spiritually speaking, get your act together. Stop doing some of the things you're doing. Start doing some of the things you know you ought to be doing. Get your house in order because when you get your house in order, spiritually speaking, God is going to show up in ways perhaps you've not seen God show up because of disobedience. So Joshua then said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Here's another great verse. This one is on the screen. Basically says a parallel thing. Joshua 4.14, you see it with me. That day... The Lord made Joshua great in the eyes of all the Israelites, and for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. So, I want you to catch this. Joshua draws near to God, and the more that Joshua draws near to God, and that's probably a message for all of us today, just drawing closer to God, just saying, God, I'm, I'm just tired of being where I'm at. It just feels like I've been here for so long. It seems like, some of you may say, it seems like spiritually I've taken some steps back. I've allowed some stuff to enter into my life that's not been a part of my life before and just say, no, 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 not anymore. I'm going to move forward. I, I want to take steps of progress. I want to grow. I want to draw near to God. And what happened in Joshua's life as he drew near to God, God elevates his leadership. God raises up his leadership. He becomes a greater and greater leader. And then there's a cool thing that happens that we don't have time to talk about. The effects of that begin to trickle down into the, into the lives of the people that Joshua's leading. And so now the people that he's leading become more courageous because they see it manifested in the life of Joshua. They become more passionate. They, they see his spiritual life. And not everybody, but so, so many different ones just said, you know what? I see the spiritual life of this person, and I want to emulate that. I want to follow that. And the people become closer to God, and they become more courageous. And they start believing that even impossible things with God are possible because Joshua could look at situations with God's help and say, I know that this seems bigger than me, and it is, but it's not bigger than God. And so I'm going to trust God here for a miracle. Many of you have heard of the name of Billy Graham. Probably most all of you have. Not as many of you, a lot of you have, but not many, as many of you have heard of Franklin Graham. He's Billy Graham's son. And I love what he says. He says, nothing is a miracle until it reaches the area where the utmost that human effort can do still isn't enough. God, I love this next statement, God has to fill that space, that room between what's possible and what he wants done that's impossible. What kind of miracle do you need in your life today? Do you stand with me, everybody, for a closing prayer?
with your head bowed and your eyes closed right now, maybe God is just speaking to you about drawing near to him. Maybe it's just saying, hey, there's some things in your life that you just need to be done with. You need to set down. You just, the New Testament says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Let us run with patience the course that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. And maybe that's what God's saying to you today, that you just need to take some steps forward in your spiritual life, that you just need to draw near to God. You need to lay some stuff down, and you need to pursue God. Maybe God is saying to you that you need to just allow him to drive out the worry, the fear, the anxiety in your life because it's holding you back from your highest potential. Maybe for you, it's just trusting God for something. Maybe you've become so self-dependent that if you can't make it happen, you don't see how it's going to happen. And God is just saying, don't live your life that way. Trust me. Like Franklin Graham says, trust in God for what is impossible with you and knowing that it's going to be possible with God. So what is God saying to you today? Maybe God is speaking to you like he's speaking to me. Hey, who can you find? Who can you pour yourself into? Maybe you're a business person and you're just saying, wow, I've just learned a lot. I've grown a lot. Hey, I could find a young man or a young woman who's sort of an entrepreneur and I can just pour myself into them and I can help them to learn some valuable lessons. Maybe as a mature man or woman of God, not a perfect man or woman of God, but a mature man or woman of God, you would find a young person. Maybe it's a young Christian, a new Christian in your small group. You'd just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to just take them under my wing for a while and I'm just going to pour into their life and I'm going to help them to grow up spiritually. If God would use me, humbly use me to do that, that'd be a wonderful thing. So God's not saying the same thing to all of us this morning, but what is God saying to you? And then you right there where you're at, as I pray for you, just say, God, help me to be that person. Help me to be like Joshua. Help it to be said of my life when I get to the end of my life that I did everything. I didn't leave out anything, just like Joshua, that God wanted me to do. I took my life, and I did with my life what God wanted me to do my life. So help us all with that, God, we pray, whatever you're speaking to us about, trusting you for the miraculous, drawing near to you, laying down something, picking up something that we need to be doing, becoming a more courageous person, more dialed into you, more attuned into you. God, what is it that you want us to do? Pouring it into the lives of others, helping other people, saying, God, help me to grow, help me to learn, help me to be strong, help me to be courageous, not so that it's about me, but so that I can help other people. God, would you use us today? Here we are. We need your help. We love you so much. And all of us, in whatever we're leading or whatever we're doing, God, we just pray that you would grow us into the person you want us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. If you see my buddy Jack, wish him a happy birthday. I'll see you right back here next Sunday.